Hi, I'm Rami. And I'm Shannon, and this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read or heard to help all of us expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy, but without a whole new degree. Rami, what are we talking about today? Think again, Shannon. <laughs> okay. It's and actually, I- <laughs> we're, it's, we're, it's what we're talking about. The book is called Think Again. Oh my gosh. Okay, that's incredible. And I'm very distracted at this moment because can you hear the Hamilton music blaring in the background at my house? I can't. I can't. Oh my gosh. Okay. Are you worried about taking your shot, Shannon? I am. I mean, in what sense of the word, Rami? (laughs) I am going to, yeah, just, you know, take care of that here in a little bit. But you get us started on Think Again. (laughs) You're not going to throw away your shot? Shot? I'm not going to throw away my shot. <laughs> oh my gosh. Shot. So we're thinking again today. Okay, so we're talking about we're talking about the book Think Again: The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know by Adam Grant. Adam Grant is the person whose emails or Instagram posts or tweets have been sent to you by other people <laughs> and they've said, "This is good. I like this. This is something to think about." I don't really uh, know what like, this guy is like actually about because, but like, I know who he is, but I'm like, I don't, how did he get famous? Like, but I've, yeah, I've seen his reshares all the time. <laughs> I think he, the books that he've written, I think have just had an impact on culture mm-hmm. to the point where he can continue to grow and just be a person. It's like Seth Godin. Like, yeah. where did they come from? We don't know. But like, now the books they've written are like commonplace for, for people in ties to have read or for me to use to stack underneath my monitor so that people think I've read them. So Adam Grant, think again, power of knowing what you don't know. So the book is really about rethinking, which is the idea about challenging our beliefs. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't suggest that we do this daily to everything we believe as that would make life impossible and we would have no foundation at which to exist. Right, because at the point where you challenge everything, you go, uh, "I don't. I need to prove that gravity exists." Well, no, there's a belief in gravity that you can just a- acknowledge and move on your way. Like you drop your pencil, it's not going to float there; it's going to drop. Yes. And so it's about the idea of how do you periodically check in and see if your beliefs are still valid, and how do you how do you set yourself up with a scientist mindset so that your beliefs can be challenged in a way that doesn't um, shake your entire foundation. Or as the kids would say, I'm shook when, <laughs> when something changes their belief on things. Do they say I'm shook or I'm shooketh? Sorry. Do you talking about Shakespeare shooketh? I don't know, but anyways, you hear people say shooketh. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I hear, I hear that. I hear kids these days. When did we get old enough to say shit like that? Okay, so I'm liking this. So this idea of rethinking things. It reminds me of, I think, Side Hug episode 98, where somebody else was saying, like, we should maybe... Clutterbuck. Clutterbuck. My coach. He's not my coach friend. He's just, you know, a leading thinker in the field of coaching. But yeah, I'm liking this. So what does he say that we should be rethinking then? Or how often should we be rethinking? So he really breaks it into three parts. Individual rethinking is the first part. Interpersonal rethinking is the second part. And then the last part is collective rethinking, 
we're going to cover the first two parts. We'll go through some examples. We'll kind of break down individual and interpersonal. I'm not going to really hit collective. It's it's good, but less tactical and tangible, I think, for what we're trying to accomplish here. Yeah. Uh, but I will preface that all of this by saying this book is excellent and you should read it if any part of what I'm saying is remotely interesting. I'm doing it a disservice and it's much better in the book. <laughs> Okay, great. So individual rethinking and interpersonal rethinking. Which one are we going to start with? Uh, individual. Okay, so part one is individual rethinking. So let's talk about change. So there's, he, he starts off by saying there's like three different uh, mindsets, uh, preachers, prosecutors, and politician. And he said, the risk is that we become so wrapped up in preaching that we are right, prosecuting others who are wrong, and politicking for support that we don't bother to rethink our views, right? Like we take on all three of those mm. personas in a bid to validate our own beliefs. Yeah. The, the preacher, the prosecutor, and the politician. And so he says the alternate of being those three in one is to be a scientist, which isn't just a profession, but a state of mind. So, he says, we have biases in place wherever we analyze data. It's uh, confirmation and desirability bias. So confirmation bias is seeing what we expect to, and desirability is seeing what we want to. But a scientist doesn't let those biases dictate what the outcome is. Okay, but how do you do that? How do you be a scientist instead of being a preacher or politician or a prosecutor by by being willing to let the facts be the only true thing in your rethinking of your beliefs okay so that's the first piece is like how do we shift from being a preacher prosecutor politician it's really being a scientist and and trying to remove confirmation and desirability bias and really look at the data for what it is data. This is fascinating. I think like my biggest takeaway from this first part is actually the three P's. And I'm totally going to use that now. And more is an opportunity to like sit with myself and say like, okay, am I falling into preacher, politician, or why do I keep Politicking. or prosecuting or prosecutor Yeah, right now? And if I am like, then that's indicative that I need to shift into the being a scientist. I'm loving Correct. this. Okay, what next? So next, he talks about the joy of being wrong. Oh, my God. <laughs> Which I really like. Just, the just that in and of itself. Like, I, I love that. I want to be in pursuit of that. And also, like, it's deeply discomforting. It's kind of like the headline of our podcast, Workplace Hugs. Like, oh, there's some there's tension. felt tension there. The joy of being yeah. wrong. So he says the being wrong is the only way to make sure that you learn something. Mm. Because when you're wrong, like you've been proven wrong and like you will learn something from that. Yeah. And so he says that to find comfort in being wrong and to allow yourself to be wrong. So the thing with this book is like it's it's a lot about your willingness to un tie yourself from deep-seated beliefs uh -huh. to allow for rethinking. If you're not going to allow yourself to unwind from those deep-seated beliefs, like rethinking is not going to work for you, 
right? But what he does is he gives you kind of a template in terms of the preacher, prosecutor, politician viewpoint of like, oh, if you start to see that in yourself, then put on your scientist cap and like evaluate those things that you're pushing one of the three P's on. (laughs) The joy being wrong, he says, you have to find two kinds of detachment. It's detaching your present from your past and then separating your opinion from your identity. Whoa. The present from your past makes sense to me. Because I think I've talked about in past episodes, like, detaching from how things are or whatnot. But separating your opinions from your identity. That's deep. And that's what I mean. Like, it's not a simple thing of, like, oh, I want to be good at rethinking. And so I'm just going to go do these things. It's like, no, like, you have to... Your opinion has to be separate from your identity. Otherwise, you won't ever rethink your opinions. Yeah. And so you've got to kind of unwind that. You've got to find some detachment from your opinions, which isn't easy, right? Like none of these things are inherently simple. But if you're willing to put in the energy, then these are kind of the steps to get there. Okay. Can I talk about, can I take us on a detour right now? Please. This might get a little too personal, but I don't know. Let's go there. I like it. Let's go. I was talking. I've been doing like a lot of like religious exploration right now. We won't get into like the why or the how. But I was talking with a person recently and I was saying like, oh, have you ever read other like religious texts? Like, have you read the Torah or the Quran or whatever? And this person said that they are afraid to because they were afraid that that might there. This person was a Christian and they were like, I'm afraid to because I'm afraid of like how that might reshape like who I am or like how I think of these things. And I feel like that's exactly the difference between separating your opinions from your identity. Like this person was so strongly identified as a Christian that they were scared to potentially expose themselves to things that might challenge their perspective on Christianity instead of like, I don't know, like this is my opinion, my belief, but like I'm available and open to exposing myself to other people's religious perspectives or thoughts. I don't know. That just hit me in this moment. Well, and I think too, when you're willing to take on other, like be open to challenging those things and rethinking, then I think you're in a much better place when you do find your beliefs because you're challenging them constantly. And it, it feels like a stronger foundation, right? Like, cause you're like, Oh, I'm challenging this thing. I'm punching it up against the wall all the time, letting anything that wants to challenge it. And if it continues to exist and be a belief of mine, it's going to be a much stronger, deeper held one because of what it's gone through. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I took some of that detour, but it just like was smacking me in the face in the moment. So one of the things he says, and I like this a lot, is there's no benefit for being wrong longer. It's much better to change your beliefs sooner. And so he says that he considers all his opinions tentative. Yes. I'm, so I'm yesing on this because a lot of this is rooted in the foundations of being an excellent coach, in my opinion. Like when you're coaching someone, you um, you really have to detach from an outcome. Like, of course, you you want them to pursue their goal or vision, but you don't ha- you don't want to be attached to like how like the how maybe maybe you are attached yep. to the outcome, but not like how they're going to get there. And one of the things that we say a lot in the coaching profession is if you ever are going to offer an ob- observation to someone or an assessment, you do it tentatively. Because, like, you don't have a freaking clue if this is what's yeah. best for this person. But it's like, hey, I don't know. I'm just going to throw this out there. Have you considered the possibility of maybe just quitting your job without a plan? <laughs> 
but not being attached to like that's that's the exact thing that you should do next. So I'm a big yeah. fan of being tentative in whatever we say to pretty much anyone all the time because you could be wrong. <laughs> I agree. Uh, and then he finishes that quote by saying, I consider all my options tentative, and when the facts change, I change my opinions. Oh, this is just, like, it's gorgeous to me, because it reminds me, too, of in my, I'm in my profession, and within my specialty, especially of transition, we can get so stuck on this idea of needing to be consistent. And sometimes I think as a culture, we're so like in devotion to consistency that it prevents us from being giving ourselves freedom to change our minds on things. And I can remember talking to a client just recently who was feeling very like, oh, but I'm going to look so flaky or inconsistent. I'm like, well, you have new facts now. The facts have changed. It's o- it's exactly this quote. It's okay to change your opinion now that you have a, more information available to you. So I, love and I think this. that's the biggest thing. And so it's like, how do you consider your options tentative mm-hmm. to allow for when the facts change that you can change your opinion? And I think the biggest piece of growth I ever see in people is when they have a strong opinion and then they see different facts and they're not willing to change it. That's when I like lose a lot of respect for people yeah. because it's like, well, no, just admit you're wrong. Like take joy in being wrong and like, let's just move on. Yeah. Like don't just dig in, do the three P's here because like you just look dumb because all of us have seen the data on this thing. And like, w- why are you digging in? Yeah. There's a quote from Jeff Bezos and I, I don't really care for the guy, but it's a good quote. People who are right a lot, listen a lot and they change their mind a lot. If you don't change your mind frequently, you're going to be wrong a lot. Yeah, I don't like the guy either, but that is a really good quote. (laughs) I like the quote. I think it just goes back to it. Like the advice here is to find joy in being wrong by separating your opinion from your identity and keeping your opinions tentative and being willing to facts changing okay and then the third piece of individual rethinking is the psychology of constructive conflict so there's two types of conflict task conflict and relationship conflict Mm -hmm. task conflict is a clash about ideas and opinions relationship conflict is personal personal emotional clashes that are filled with animosity and so The absence of conflict is not harmony, it's apathy. And so the key here is to build trust and be able to have intense task conflict without relationship conflict. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm just like eating this book up now and now I'm totally going to want to go and read the whole book. What this reminds me of is the the episode we did a long time ago about crucial conversations Mm -hmm. and in crucial conversations, they talk about when you're in conflict, sometimes we have to go back and make sure we have two things first, like mutual respect and mutual purpose, which to me gets at like what this book is saying about we have relationship conflict. When you have relationship conflict, it's very hard to even go into task conflict Mm-hmm. because you don't have mutual respect or mutual purpose potentially. But when you ensure that you have those two things, then it allows you to be in task conflict quite a bit. And like, you might 
you at least you're sharing the purpose on what you're trying to get to, but you might have a lot of different ideas and opinions on like how to best accomplish the thing that you're trying to achieve. So it just exactly. ties in so beautifully. Exactly. So the big thing is like you should have intense task conflicts but it should never have a relationship conflict piece to it is is the point here is like and and i like the word apathy a lot so he's saying like the conflict of uh the absence of conflict is not harmony it's not like we're in harmony because we aren't arguing we have apathy because we're not willing to argue about ideas and opinions yeah which could be a healthy thing if we're willing to keep the relationship piece out of that okay so that's the individual rethinking let's talk about interpersonal uh rethinking so the first part is how to win debates and influence others which i mean we started with ben franklin on episode two and so this is only going to be a huge piece of what i love to do which is win debates and influence others so obviously i'm going to talk about this Mm -hmm. so What they say in the book is prior to negotiations, uh, experts devote more than a third of their time planning to find common ground. So the real goal is to find common ground as they're planning their negotiation, which I think is interesting because you're like, oh, no, they're going to debate. So, like, isn't he just going to try and break that person down? Well, no, like a third of expert negotiators, they spend trying to find common ground. Mm -hmm. The second piece and this makes a lot of sense once you think about it, but was eye-opening to me, was experts present fewer reasons to support their case. So in a debate, they'll actually only have a f- very few reasons rather than a lot because you actually water down your best arguments with more arguments. That makes a lot of sense. I, I wouldn't say that I've like consciously thought of that before, but that makes a lot of sense. And then the third one's is that uh, skilled negotiators avoid entering in defend attack spirals and they express rather they express curiosity of questions like so you don't see any merit in this proposal at all where you let the other person kind of uh, destroy their own arguments and like come out defensive and aggressive as opposed to being in that cycle with them which is what they want from you. And then the final thing they said about um, this was of every five comments the experts made, at least one ended in a question mark. I love that. In my in my opinion, <laughs> we don't ask enough questions sometimes when we're in those debates. Yeah, and and then it can put in then that defend attack spiral. I love that visual because that is what it goes. You just like defend attack, defend attack, defend attack, and then there's really no conversation at that point or no. it's it's i guess it's a conversation but you're not really getting anywhere <laughs> no and so that's kind of the the tips on wanting debates and influencing others um the last thing that i found was really interesting in this section was when someone becomes hostile if you respond by viewing the argument as a war you only have two options right you can either attack or you can defend or retreat if instead you treat it as a dance, you have another option, which is that you can sidestep. Yeah. So in a heated argument, you can always stop and ask, what evidence would change your mind? If the answer is nothing, then there's no point in continuing the debate. And I think we've all been in this place 
where you sit down at the Thanksgiving table, <laughs> everybody has different political views, and your uncle says, I only want the dark meat. And you say, is there anything I could do to change your mind about having some light meat? <laughs> and if they say nothing, then it's not worth pursuing the the dance or the argument. Certainly not. <laughs> is that what you thought I was going to say, Shannon? No, that is not what I thought you were going to say. I sidestepped it uh, because we're going to get there. So I think it's important. Always think about your, if someone is hostile, think of it as a dance. Sidestep it. Ask them, what evidence would change your mind? If they say nothing, do not continue having the conversation. Change the topic. There's nothing worth your energy and pulling your hair out if the person has no ability to rethink. Okay. And then the next piece is listening to change people's mind. So refusing a point of view actually produces doesn't actually do this, but I'm going to say it does. It does. <laughs> uh, produces antibodies against future influence attempts. Okay, so we become more certain of our opinions and less curious about alternative views as we continue to refuse a certain point of view, right? Yeah. And so our body is kind of just like, our body is kind of like building uh, antibodies against those future attempts because we've already kept saying no, 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 like I don't want to acknowledge this thing um and so the the really cool concept which i think is like the coolest concept is this entire book is this idea of motivational interviewing Mm. have you heard of this shannon i have not heard of this i'm really intrigued already let's let's break it down motivational interviewing uh the central premise is that we can rarely motivate someone else to change I agree. I agree with that statement. You agree with that statement. Yeah. We are better off helping them find their own motivation to change, which I think we're all like, how do we do that? Yes. How do we, when we disagree with someone, we can't just tell them they're dumb. (laughs) How do we give them the motivation to change? So that motivation for change is the biggest piece for wanting to get someone to do something they don't want to. So the example in the book was around getting parents to vaccinate their children. And it was about... I mean, even outside of the COVID situation, we'd been on a path where parents were more averse to vaccines in small children. Like, that's just where the world has been getting to. And the science and the facts disagree with that point of view for the most part. And by most part, I mean absolutely 100% definitively. (laughs) There's, there's, There's no data that proves otherwise. It's really funny. I read this book about it wasn't what to do when you're expecting, but it was like one of those books. And it was like, I'm not going to have a definitive stance on any of the things in this book, because like you can breastfeed how you want to. You can do diapers however you want to all these things. The only thing I'm going to have a definitive stance on is vaccines. Like you absolutely need to get vaccinated. Your children need to get vaccinated. There's no data that tells us otherwise. Everything else I'm going to have strong opinions on. This is the only one I'm going to tell you, like there is no other view here. That is validated by any amount of research. Okay, so like, what the hell do you do? This is, this is, okay, so what the hell do you do when people don't want to get their kids vaccinated? Exactly. So the idea in motivational interviewing is that you have to have a genuine desire to help people reach their goal. And 
And the three techniques for doing this are asking open-ended questions, uh, engaging in reflective listening, and then affirming the person's desire and ability to change. So it's a lot more about having conversations. And they talk about a vaccine whisperer who will go and talk to families about their fears and and ask a lot of open-ended questions and try to understand like why they're so against it and and try and help them through really reflective listening start to soften their stance to the point where they're willing to rethink the situation because you can't just come in with data saying all oh, the data shows this the data shows that right like we've already said like if you're against getting your kids vaccinated you've built up antibodies to it mm-hmm. and so having someone say like here's the data like it's not going to do anything you've already like dug in you're not going to move but allowing someone to have a conversation with you where they're asking you open-ended questions where they're really listening to why your beliefs are what they are will help soften and help encourage the idea of rethinking. Yeah. It sounds a hell of a lot like coaching now that it's broken out that way. Ask open-ended questions, reflective listening and affirm the desire and ability to change. You've been doing this the whole time. (laughs) I guess I have. I didn't know it was called motivational interviewing. You motivational interviewer, you. Okay, so the last two things are about listening. So listening well is more than a matter of talking less. It's a set of skills and asking and responding. (laughs) And he says, even the devil appreciates being listened to. Uh, And then the last piece is what I thought was really, I don't know, it really stuck with me. Listening is a way of offering others our scarcest, most precious gift, which is our attention. 1000% agree with that. Okay. That was motivational interviewing. That's the end of what I want to talk about with interpersonal rethinking. I want to get into the tactical part here. And you would say, Rami, you've given us 100 examples. Is none of that tactical? I would say it's all tactical. Read the book. It's much better than what I just tried to summarize. But at least it gets you open to the idea of how rethinking within yourself is possible and how rethinking with others is possible. But the really cool part is at the end, after all of that, is he goes and says, well, you should do a career checkup. And you should do it twice a year. And the purpose of this is to rethink what you're doing in that moment. I love this already. How- Which is how it connects back to the purpose of the book. Because you're like, oh, why do I need a career checkup in the middle of this book about rethinking? And it's like, well, no, you should be rethinking and challenging your own work and career twice a year. So here are the two questions. When did you form the aspirations you are currently pursuing and how have you changed since then? Mm. And the second part is, have you reached a learning plateau in your role or in your workplace? And is it time to consider a pivot? Knowing that a notification will pop up twice a year helps you resist the temptation to think about quitting every day. Mm. So if you put it on your calendar twice a year, Put the two questions and then take, I don't know, whatever time you want, go to a coffee shop, treat yourself and like ask those two questions. Having that check-in will help you have some separation of like, oh, I don't need to challenge my belief of wanting to quit every single day. Yeah. Let's, let's wait the month. Let's go have that check-in and see if, if this is something I want to change. I love this so much. 
I love this so much. I'm like literally excited to go journal on these questions later today. And then in six months. And then again in six months. Yeah. Okay. So that's the career checkup. I think throw it on your calendar. Ask yourself those two questions. You will feel fantastic in doing so. The data suggests, and this is kind of what the book was alluding to in the section, that meaning is healthier than happiness. Ooh, yummy. And so people who look for purpose in their work are more successful in pursuing their passion and less likely to quit their jobs than those who look for joy. Oh, crap. I'm thinking of a client right now that I need to go have a conversation with based on this quote. That's that's deep. Yeah. Meaning over joy is what I'm hearing in that. Yes. And we might be better off pursuing the job where we expect to learn and contribute the most. Because passions are often developed, not discovered. Hmm. Okay. And then I'm just going to really get to the end of all of this here, which is to say the simplest way to start rethinking our options and opinions is to question what we do daily. And I'm going to end it with this quote, which is writing out a plan for your life is like driving at night in the fog. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. Oh, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. So that was Rethinking by Adam Grant. Honestly, it's super dense. I took these things away from it. You will read it. You will take out completely different things. And I think that's the beauty of a a really dense, well-written book like this. I know why Adam Grant is as famous as he is. And hopefully this kind of gets you to to think about having more tentative opinions, how you can better listen to others, how you can rethink your own beliefs and, and be willing to. And I think the, the, the only thing I strive for in this episode is really hope, hoping that everyone is willing to challenge their beliefs. And I think if we're all willing to do that a little bit, I think it'll make us a more empathic, uh, culture, existence, and and humanity. Yeah. All right. Well, we'd love for you to connect with us on Instagram at Workplace Hugs and tell us what you thought about this book conversation. Tell us where it's making you reconsider beliefs personally or reconsider how you're playing a more supportive role in helping others reconsider than an adversarial role in helping others reconsider their beliefs. With that, I've been Shannon. I've been Rami, and this has been Workplace Hugs. (laughs) 